podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Leeds Up podcast. I'm James and I'm with Rocco Dean. The podcast is proudly sponsored by Bassandbly.com, Yorkshire's premier optics retailer. They sell the best binoculars, spotting scopes, cameras, photographic lenses, and brands such as Nikon, Swarovski, Leica, Hawk, Zeiss, you name it. Make sure you check out their website, www.bassandbly.com. How many years has it been going for? Ah, oh, they've been going 50 years, is it? Is this a quiz, Rocco? <laughs> 50 times about right, yeah. Let's say 50. Oh, 60 maybe. Right, Leeds have lost. Let's get this done. It's miserable. Such a miserable day. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, I went to my uh, went to my brother in law's uh, to celebrate my dad's birthday, and yeah, it was a real bind having to to go back for the second half because I knew exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, just pathetic. Same with every, almost. I mean, how many matches this season have been the same? Yeah, start fairly decently, and then as soon as things start going wrong, we have absolutely no resolve to turn it around, and it just showed nothing. It's just just not good enough. From day back, the, the day started off quite well. I say quite well, very well. Hayden uh, Hayden Evans sent a photo of of Garth White's on their way to the game, and they were all drinking, dressed up nicely. Probably saw him on TV with big Sam masks on and shirt and tie job and I think in the end they took over a, a Millwall pub down that end all 50 or 100 of them I don't know how many there were there's two coach loads anyway and they were, they were having a great old time and we tweeted a picture of that out in Sports Bible and Away Days picked that up as well so I'm glad they got coverage for that because uh, yeah great effort but yeah it quickly sort of turned and in the run up to the game there was all the talk of you know them pretty much being on the not on the beach, but, you know, just not really being up for today because they had their Europe, Europa semi-final win in the week. And it was only like two, two or three days ago, really. And there was, you know, they were, they were having beers after that game. So I think a lot of people naively thought, oh, they're not going to be up for it. And they came out and were just so much more on top of the game than we were today. And it's just depressing to watch. Well, I was annoyed, actually. I, I was getting frustrated and I was adamant that, that we would lose regardless of, you know, what West Ham's state was because I just I don't know I, I just think their players are better than ours and I think it annoys me how much emphasis and importance people put on you know teams not having anything to play for you know it's at the end of the day it's 11 v 11 on a pitch and they've got 60,000 fans willing them on and you know you could say that they're more relaxed so I, I, I really didn't buy into it having said that in the first 10-15 minutes I sort of did you know they really did look like they didn't care but as soon as we scored, it woke them up. And, and then, you know, we just, uh, yeah, just basically folded, didn't we? Yeah. It, yeah, it was sad to watch. I think the the goal was great. Came from uh, the quarterbacks throwing. Weston McKenney, we talked previously about his throwing, being pretty amazing. And it was amazing. He got an assist with it. Great finish by Rodrigo. And it looked like we were kind of on the way at that point, you know, on the way to a good performance that we could sustain and, but it just, it never really worked from there on. And I saw people sort of saying that we were kind of dominant in the first half and did really well. I thought we were just, after that, we just did nothing. It, it was, West Ham were just sort of getting closer and closer and closer to our, to dominating our third the whole time. And I think it, the thing that was scaring me the most was the fact that we were sitting deep 
at times. But that was in worry that if we pushed on too quickly, too much, they would just get us on the counter. So we were just constantly in this bind of actually being really poor in defense and being really poor in attack because they were going to break on us. And it just, I just, I don't know, I just felt it very early on that I just thought this isn't going to go our way. I can't imagine us, I can't imagine us getting anything out of the game. And yeah, I'm annoyed that I was right, unfortunately. Yeah, I felt the same. I, it just seems like we can't really do anything, you know. It's funny because I was, while I was away, I was I had, had some free time. I was listening back to our pre-season like episode, oh, and we were, we were talking about the friendly against who was it Italian side Cagliari, wasn't it? And you were going on about how how easily Cagliari were hitting us on the counter, and you know hopefully when the real things start, we'll you know we'll sort that out. <laughs> like that, I just spoke volumes because we've never sorted out all season, and you know today was the same, you know, every time we attacked, you know, when they broke free, it looked like they were going to score and we just slow at getting back. And, you know, Ailing came out afterwards and, and said it himself, you know, we, you know, we don't have the fitness anymore, you know, it's just not in the legs. And, you know, whether he was alluding to the fact that, you know, whether they've, you know, all taken their feet off the pedal since Bielsa's gone and, and you know, probably intentionally or whether, you know, it's because the, the, the better players in the squad are getting too old now, probably both, I guess. But yeah, we we just can't compete. We're not we're not good enough. And then you know, players who are supposed to be good players that people get so excited about, like Stroik, you know, for that first goal, just drifting inside, like just completely brainless movement, losing his man when he's supposed to be playing left back. And fair enough, you could defend him by saying he's not a natural left back. It's his job. He's playing left back. Like it's just not good enough. And and our, that's that's what our players are. They're, they're not good enough to not make mistakes over ninety minutes against decent teams. I appreciate you plucking out one of the probably better things I said in that preseason, rather than my wild predictions of probably saying we were going to get Champions League football or something ridiculous. Funnily um, enough, you were you were praising Brendan <laughs> Aronson for a through ball. Oh God! And, and I said, calm down. A Premier League defender would have would have cut it out. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think he's probably done a through ball since then, has he? Yeah, on on, on the point about Luke Allen, his comments, which basically paraphrasing here, were that. They, they were sort of leggy in that game and they couldn't get into it, which is crazy when you think, again, that West Ham played in the semi-final a few days ago and yet were still not able to to be the fitter side on the day. And I think there's an element there, I'm pretty sure there's an element there of, you know, referring to Marsh as well, you know, and, and, and those standards dropping. And we put a tweet out kind of saying that as well, that the moment we got rid of Bielsa, and I know we're going on about it, but I don't care, but the moment we got rid of Bielsa, the standards of the football club did drop. We went for Marsh, who came in, took the players out for beers on the first day, and which was a, an alien concept to all of these players, you know, from not really having that, from basically living at Thor Thorpe Arch, having beds built for them so that they could stay there and train, to then, you know, being told that Bielsa overtrained them. So then all of a sudden they, they take the foot off the gas and then, you know, a year on, here we are. We've got a bunch of unfit players that aren't ready. And, that that drop in standard is is the biggest cause of all of our issues. We've gone from a world renowned coach that Pep Guardiola and say is he is the best. You know they couldn't do the job that he did with with Leeds United to someone who is basically slagging off his his methods is just crazy. You know one of the things that I'll always live by now as a as a Leeds fan, no matter what league we're in, is always living to that standard. And I think that's why. I, I talk about Bielsa so much is because 
he set a standard for us all that we should never ever accept any less than that and we shouldn't we we, we don't deserve it as a as a group of fans who will always be here supporting this club we don't deserve that yeah 100 percent. and the thing that gets me the most is that it's not like radrizani was it like it's not like if it was the 49ers that came in and they want to bring their own man in and and they you know and they didn't realize the effects that Bielsa had on the club you can sort of understand that but the fact that Radrizani was at the club for so long where it wasn't working and then he saw the absolute dramatic change that Bielsa lifting the standards of the club brought to then go back is just incredible I, I just can't get my head around it whatsoever but here we are and and yeah you know the whole strategy of it, you know, they effectively said, well, you know, let's keep the running, but we'll take away the lovely football and we'll just pump it up to the box. And then, you know, when that didn't work, they're like, right, well, we'll take the pressing out of it as well. And then that's where we are now. I mean, it is incredible incompetence of the, of the highest order. Like, I don't think we'll see as, as, as catastrophic mistakes again, really. I don't think you could get them, get, get it as wrong. Again, it's like, it's just unbelievable. And then, you know, you get to the point where I think the, the bottom line is today leaving a, a injured Rodrigo on because Allardyce didn't have a striker on the bench <laughs> and Rose there, 30 million that we spent on a guy who was an under 21, according to Sam Allardyce, you know, he's an under 21. It's just incredible. And we've got three loanees that, that have two years Premier League experience pretty much, you know. Gelhart, Roberts, and James, like, yeah, obviously we're not fans of, you know, James and Roberts didn't do well up front, but, you know, they would be playing. They would have come on today and, and Rutter didn't. Like, what does that tell you? And we spent 30 odd million on the guy and we've got him on our books now. He's probably no better than Joseph by the looks of things. Like, it's just incredible. 140 million spent on James, Aronson, Ruta, Furpo, Costa, and Jean Kevin Augustin. Three hundred million pounds spent since we came back into the Premier League, and we've got worse players, and we're, we and our state hasn't improved. You know, it's it's absolutely crazy how how backwards we've actually gone. And I think one of the things that frustrates me is that we haven't learned from other people's mistakes. There's plenty of clubs that have come up and tried to do this, you know, and tr and tried to gamble on you know players from austria or other leagues thinking well they've done well there they can they can do that in the premier league and i don't know why we haven't looked at that there's newcastle and even sunderland back in the day and and i think just signing some assured players that are good at this level that are aging would have made a, a huge difference i would have thought yeah absolutely it's, it's so frustrating and you know i'm left thinking now you know when radrizani came to the club when he when he bought in you know alongside Chilino, we were in a better position then than we are now no doubt about it we had Gary Monk we had one of the best defenses in the championship we had players like Pablo you know Dallas Cooper Ailing, you know and they were all in the mid-20s Pontus Roof Vieira Phillips you know look what we've got now the players that we've got now are nowhere near as good as those players and we're going down. We've got no no direction. We've got no owners. The stadium's five six years older. Like you can go on and on. Like we're in we're in a real terrible mess. And like we like people are saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Reset. Yeah, complete restart for the new season. Yeah, I absolutely love that. But it's not actually realistic. Like, how long does the takeover take? We've got a few weeks. 
like the championship season or the Premier League, if we stay up, starts in like a, like a number of weeks. Like how we've got to change the owners, like appoint new staff, get all the players out. Like we probably have to sell before we buy, and you know we can't. It, it, I mean, it's a whole complete mess. It's 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 like I don't know where you start with it. The job is so massive. Like my dad says, well, you know, they should keep Big Sam no matter what. And in a way, I, I don't agree with it, but in a way I do. I see where he's coming from because, you know, at least that's somebody that can probably at least guarantee us, you know, safety in the championship next season if you let him do what he wants to do and then try and build from there. You know, it, what I'm saying is we don't, we don't, we're not going to turn it around in a few weeks. Like we probably need a year to turn this around and start again, not, not two months. I think this is the thing that worries me and has been churning away in my mind, like, well, the last few weeks, because we kind of felt that we would be in this position. And, you know, Galfith White's and wearing the big Sam mask today was very much a case of embracing where we are right now. You know, it's six months ago, we wouldn't have been happy with this, you know, as I talked about before, setting that standards of not accepting anything less. But right now it's about embracing it. And, I, you know, I've thought exactly the same as, as your dad, you know, that, we kind of need someone just to come in and say how it is. Like one thing that has been completely different to Bielsa Marsh and Gracia is that he's come in and he's said things that need to be said, like saying the giving away of two penalties last week was poor and that cost us the game. Talking openly that the squad depth is terrible today, or not saying terrible, but there isn't the squad depth and that's co that's costing us. He's he's just he doesn't give a shit, so he's just saying it how it how it is. And we kind of need that at the minute. And, and, but this is the fall from grace that we are just kind of having to embrace this. And that's what sort of worries me again. But I think there needs to be some stability somewhere. And I don't know where it's going to come from. Whilst you try and build, like you say, a director of football who brings in a sense of a strategy, a plan for which direction the, the actual football, a football club is going to go in. I think, you know, financially, we're in a better place than we were when we fell into the championship all those years ago. But it's still a big, a big, big job, like you say, to 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 rebuild. And I don't know how they're going to do it. Can't add to that. I want to uh, air a, just as I'm talking about Big Sam taking Harrison off today. I thought that was outrageous. I thought Harrison was having a really good game, experienced player, like you know, run all day, do the defensive work, and to bring on Somerville. I couldn't believe that. What did you think? I didn't think Harrison was having a great game. I didn't think any of them really were. And I could see that he was probably thinking, well, I'll bring on someone to just, you know, who's quite crafty and could run up players. But it summed it up when him and Somerville and Aylin got mixed up about who was picking up the ball. And he just went, <laughs> just went out for throw and you think, what the hell is going on? You know, it's, it's moments like that where you just think, we have no idea what we're doing in possession. And I think that's, that's also part of the worry for me in terms of the rebuild is that we do not know what to do as a as a team trying to pass the ball around the field like we've we've been coached so much in this in the you know going through the transition phases and winning the ball back but we're, we're a team that spoke you play football you don't play transition <laughs> and we are crap with the ball and we like how how and who is going to coach that into them in such a short space of time like Bielsa got got them playing oh god I know I sound like a broker but we also got them playing amazing football within the space of a few weeks. I don't know how someone's going to do that with the current players that we've got. It, it's frightening, really. Yeah. Should we start a Uruguay podcast next season? 
I think we probably should, shouldn't we? I might yeah. even might even emigrate. What's the exchange rate like? Oh dear. What else we got, Rocker? Oh, so we've actually only won eleven Premier League games since the departure of Bielsa. Yeah, and how many of them were like good, deserved victories? I was trying to top them up, and like Nottingham Forest, maybe Southampton, if we're working backwards here. Chelsea, uh, Chelsea for sure. Wolves, I guess you put it in there for argument's sake. The home game, of course. I thought the away game was a bit of a fluke. And then after that, oh, Watford away under Marsh, that's five. The rest have just been like lucky. Like we, we, I, you know, I'm quite surprised we even got to 30 points, really. Like I always remember after that Brighton game, the 2 2 draw at home. And like I left that ground like depressed, thinking we were going to finish bottom. And yet that was quite a good result. But yeah, I think I was, I think I was right to, you know, get that feeling. You know, we've just, it's just something, well, as Radrizani famously said about the, you know, the, Villa away game under Bielsa, like something's seriously broken at the club. Well, yeah, it wasn't broken. People were just injured, but yeah, now it's fully broken. Here's a theory for you. So a lot of people were blaming Melier last few weeks. Well, I mean, we've, we've talked about this on the last podcast, but Bamford obviously getting pelters. Aylin's got pelters again in the week, hasn't he, for posting about fans inside the ground. A load of people on Twitter hopefully you listen to this, took it as a sort of a slander towards people that weren't going to games, which is absolute nonsense. Like that's, that's not what it's about. You know, it's it's about the fact that players like him and Bamford have been getting such stupid, horrendous abuse, including their family members. And, you know, you don't really get that inside at, at matches. And that's because people just go to enjoy the football and support the team. And the noise of social media, the torrents of abuse is just completely unacceptable. And yeah, and it made me think back to Melier and he was getting blamed a lot because he obviously like 10 consecutive shots in and goal. But here's a theory for you. Had Melier not had to the man of the match, we probably would have had someone like Uno Emery in charge of us. That's a sap thought, isn't it? Yeah. I know. Yeah. We did say that at the time though, I think. I think it was, you know, the case that it had, it had saved Marsh at, at Leeds and we did still feel from memory that he should go and that it was unlikely that he would because of that result. Yeah, I, I do always come back to, like, my I, my thinking is that it was the Cardiff game that I rue. You know, Liverpool, although, mind you, if it had gone after Liverpool, then the new manager would have had the whole World Cup break. But, you know, we got six points off Liverpool and Bournemouth and then another against Newcastle. But then we went to Cardiff and if we'd have lost that, you know, I, I think he'd have been sacked. It sounds like he would have been sacked and... To again on Radrizani, like to change your mind on that because Perkins scored in the 90th minute against a team like nearly relegated from the championship. Like, why why should you keep a manager because we equalized in that game? Like, it, it's ludicrous, but it, yeah, there's definitely you know a few culprits, isn't there? Because absolutely, you know, the football we're playing under Marsh was terrible, possession based, any sort of passing was just dreadful. We couldn't do anything with the ball. Aronson still can't do anything with the ball, which I don't think is his fault, or maybe it is. But I don't I don't think someone would have come in and been able to solve the problem as well. You know, like it's it's unraveling now that, you know, there just isn't the quality of players. And like Big Sam said, you know, there isn't the depth there. And I think someone else would have just come in and had the same problems. And, you know, we would have had the same injuries possibly that would have happened at some point and that would have exposed us all again. So it's just a really messy situation and it is 
it does need to rebuild. And even if by some miracle we stay up, like Everton don't get a result, we we beat Spurs, which is highly, highly, highly unlikely. You know, even rebuilding in the Premier League is going to be a massive, massive task, and we'll have another really awful season on our on our hands. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to the the point about what a new manager could have done, I, I, the only thing I think that could have happened to save us is if they'd have appointed a manager who they bowed down to, you know, someone like Emery, and they just said, look, hands in the air, we've proved that we don't know about football, come in, tell us what we need to do. And Emery would have come in and said, well, he's not good enough, he's not good enough, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, we wouldn't have ended this, the January with Rutter and McKenney at the club if if Emery was here. You know, it's just a nonsense, you know. that. So, yeah, that's the only thing that could have happened. Like, Yeah, I mean, the other thing, you know, go, going back to Melier, I, I'm now, you know, looking at the league table, thinking about that. That goal that Everton scored, Bellier just not not covering his post. Yeah, that's worse than Bamford missing a penalty. You know, that's yeah, that's just like lazy goalkeeper and goalkeeping, and that's cost us three points. And and look at what the t- I know, obviously, butterfly effect and all that things change. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, I couldn't help but regret that when Everton scored in the 99th minute yesterday. All the cards are falling, and they're falling fast at the minute, and it's it's miserable. It's miserable to watch. What else we got, Rocco? Man of the match. Okay, now. <laughs> if we do man of the match, I'm giving it to Harrison because uh, I thought it was our best player for an hour. And uh, yeah, if we'd have kept him on with a 1 4 3, I'm going with that. I'm going for uh, Rodrigo for playing when he's absolutely broken. You know, there's a lot of pressure on players like him. And I, he's he's hugely passionate to play for Leeds, I think, as well. And, and you know, I'll be sad to see him bowling his eyes out at Ellen Road at the weekend because I think that will probably happen. Yeah, that's true. I, I've got a question. Do you think? Do you think that's? I, I said on Twitter that the board had been negligent, and uh, I've got somebody sort of like saying that you can't say that it's negligent. You know, you don't know what's been going on. It's just bad work. Negligent is to fail to take care of something, isn't it? And yeah, you know, we haven't survived, or we're, we're, we've been in a precarious position for the last two seasons, and we've not improved. And you know, you look. Obviously, this is opinion, and we can't can't say anything more than that. But you know, you you look at Ruta, you look at Jean Kevin Augustin, seventy million pounds there. You know, when, when Bielsa was being told back in the day that you know we don't have the budget to spend on players and bring in better players than what we currently have, maybe he was right because everyone who was being put in front of him was not ready or or of or of a standard. And but to spend seventy million quid, forty million quid apparently, on Jean Kevin Augustin, including his wages and whatnot, is just absolutely criminal. And you can't argue that, but you can't argue the opinion <laughs> that um, that, that is negligent. Because it, 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 it seems like it is all those things. Well, I saw Jean Kevin Augustin play for the first time on Thursday. How was um, that for you? It was, a, it was great. Um, he wasn't great. It was, it was a great game. But yeah, he, he got himself about a bit. He doesn't look like a twenty-five million pound player, and I learned that he scored five goals in twenty-six games this season, playing for Basel. Three goals in the Swiss Super League, which isn't a great return, really. So yeah, that was he wasn't that hot a prospect, was he? No, and I noticed the just flipping slightly onto ownership. I saw today that the Athletic had tweeted that. Radrizani's potentially going in for Sampdoria 
who are about to be relegated from the from Syria into Serie B. That seems to be especially trying to pick up sort of championship level clubs and turning them around. But the one thing that sort of remembered and, and Matthew in our WhatsApp group actually reminded us that something that was reported a while back that it said it is stated that a complete takeover is likely to come sooner than 2024. This is in regards to Leeds and the 49ers. And later in the report is noted that if Fred Rizzani buys another club before 2024, the deal with 49ers enterprises will be voided. So what is going on? Like, you know, because obviously we've talked about this huge rebuild that's needed, yet no one really has any clue of what's going on. You know, they were, they were very close to microphones and happy to speak to the press when all things were rosy. And But, but we don't know anything now, do we? No, and I remember that. I remember reading that at the time and thinking, like, what does that even mean? Like, how can that be a thing? Like, it doesn't doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I'm absolutely dumbfounded by that. The whole thing's just a mess, you know. It, it, it's, I mean, that's negligent, really. You know, the way that you've, you've put a deal in place that, you know, it's not good for Leeds United, is it? Like, having one guy who is practically outgoing, you know, just sat for, what, two years to set the deal up? Why? Why? Why, why did they set? In fact, I think it was three years, actually. I think it was January 20, yeah, it was January 2021, I think, that this came into play. Maybe 22. Anyway, if it was two or three, it's just as bad. You know, it should have been like six months, you know, something like that, when you know the states of the club in the summer and then you do the deal. Like, I don't get that. And that's the other thing, you know, the 49ers, to me, they look just as culpable as, as Radrizani. You know, they they were happy to stick by Orta. They were happy to let Radrizani make these decisions. They, they've invested a lot of money in this club that is going down the pan quickly and, and their attempts to address that was spending, looks like, judging by Victor Orta's jumper, you know, spending 30 million on Rutter, you know, sanctioning that deal. I don't know how you do it, really. I don't know how you come to that valuation for, for Rutter looking at his career. It's, I mean, it, it just stinks. I, I really can't fathom how Hoffenheim could, could ask for anything like that. So I don't know how you get to that fee, but anyway. Yeah, so, you know, the 49ers, for me, I wish they'd go as well. I just wish we'd just, yeah is be able to somehow completely start again and it's yeah it's going to be it's going to be tough times but yeah this is depressing isn't it Le- Leeds United are coming with an offer for Rude to just oh, just tell them 35 million they'll leave us alone then yeah but I'm surprised they didn't want to sell him they're doing better without him by the way I checked they won they scored like four or five goals yesterday they're up to 12th in the league I think they were 15th when they sold him that's exactly uh, what we don't want to hear isn't it it's like they're better off scoring more goals since their 35 million pound striker left and went to Leeds cheers and there's those reports that they're gonna they're gonna be buying Tyler Adams. <laughs> Can you imagine picking up Adams for fifteen million? Probably one point five million. Ah, uh, God. What else are we doing? What else are we talking about? <laughs> Congratulate Calvin on his shiny Premier League winners medal. Yeah, well, I'd kind of wrote in my notes here that do we renounce Man City? Do we just sort of forget that they exist? I don't know. Yeah, I suppose so. This part you even care about winning the league? I, I don't think it means anything to them, does it? Well, this is this is it. It's like, I was trying to think, be a bit more thoughtful in my head about this than the whole 115 charges that are against them, and you know the big controversy around spending in the last decade since their owners came in. And I was trying to think of it in a European sense rather than a Premier League sense. And they've obviously wanted to come in from day dot and just dominate Europe and try to get into the Champions League and win and win the big the big trophies. And there's a massive amount of catch up in terms of spend for a club like 
Man City or any club in the Premier League, like if, if Leeds were to try and get to that sort of status in the next 10, 15 years, you'd have to spend that vast amounts of money. And that stretched over a period of decades, which has happened with Barcelona, Real Madrid, all the massive clubs. So to do it, they've they've got in and had to spend the money to get to that point. And yeah, of course, it's questionable whether it's ethical, whether it's right and within the means of financial fair play. But you can you can see why they've done it and you can kind of see why they also, from their own perspective, are like, well, what's the problem, you know? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do agree with that. I mean, I, I hate it. I, I hate yeah, yeah, exactly. football like this, obviously. And, you know, football's killing the game, you know, all around Europe. You know, one league is dominated by the team that gets in the Champions League. And it, it's it's horrific. You know, even Bulgaria, you know, Luda Goretz have won it 12 years in a row. It's like everywhere in Europe's the same pretty much. But then again, yeah, I said, look at City, you know, they've, they've done a brilliant, brilliant job. You know, and, you know, yeah, fair enough, they've broken the rules, but these are only fairly modern rules, you know, like they're not just doing what Blackburn did back in the day or Real Madrid with the Galacticos. I'm sure they owe the the Spanish royal family or the government like hundreds and hundreds of millions of euros at, at one point, you know, 20 odd years ago or, or less probably, or maybe even still now, I don't know. So, you know, yeah, money's money and, and everyone's throwing it around yeah, I, I don't know. Part of me just thinks, well, you know, they're the best team. You know, that, that that's that's what it comes down to. But yeah, is it also <laughs> also they've cheated. So you know, I've no idea what to make of it. It's it's too, it's too deep for me. Just uh, everything had just collapsed on itself. Allegedly cheated. Sorry. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I don't think that's ever going to go away. You look at the amount of money that Chelsea has spent this year as well, and it's it's like what what we want as a club. Unfortunately, if you look at it in the cold light of day, is to get to that level where we can spend money to try, to try and compete in something like the Champions League. And it's sickening. It's sickening that it's not about football, but that's the sad reality. But yeah, to your point, Calvin, he got his start. I saw on Footmob he'd got like a 7.7 rating as well. So he had a very good game. I'm pleased, pleased for him really because it must like. Well, I heard him in the pre, in post-match interview as well, just saying you know it's been a, a really tough season for him mentally you know, feeling quite down about it because he's not had the game time. And that must it must be tough because, like, football, being a footballer, you have a very, very short window. And, yes, they earn lots of money. And we can look at that from an outside perspective and say, well, what do you care? You know, you're just sitting on the bench for earning a lot of money. But they love football. They're so competitive as people. You know, you talked about it at the start and, you know, get annoyed that people would say that um, West Ham would just sort of sit back and not really care. They are competitive men, like the most competitive men you'll meet. Top athletes, so of course it hurts when they can't play football. Yeah, yeah, it's been. I mean, I, I feel, I'm, I'm sorry that it's gone like that for him. You know, it's, it's been horrible. And like at first, first half of the season, I just thought, well, you know, well, he, he was injured, wasn't he? And he was sort of getting the feel of it. But then this second half of the season, you know, seeing them play John Stones in midfield ahead of him, like that's, that's like. It's an insult, really, isn't it? And and it, it drags his reputation down. I know he's still, you know, still getting selected for England. But, yeah, I, I want him to do well. I want him to do well there. Or terribly and come back to Leeds. But uh, that seems very unlikely. The thing is, Jack, I mean, we won't get into too much chat about this, but because it's bloody Man City. And, uh, but Jack Grealish last year barely played for them. And then this year he's been, like, incredible from what I've seen and played really well for England as well. So, yeah, anyway. Is what it is, and you know, Calvin might have a great season there. But like you say, I just hope he plays football. He deserves to be playing football. He's a great lad as well. 
is a waste, isn't it? Like for us to lose our best player and then him exactly. just sit on the bench at City all season is, yeah, that's uh, that should be one of the 115 rules of broken. Shouldn't be allowed to do that. Uh, what else do we need to cover? Well, we need to do, we need to preview the biggest match of our lives next week. Can you tell I'm just like quickly trying to, <laughs> but to start us there, Bill's so depressed. I'm laughing through it, but I feel the thrill. Is there any way Everton can lose to Bournemouth? Because that's basically it now, isn't it? Like we, we will go against Spurs and we'll try and win. And who knows, we might, but can Everton lose to Bournemouth? I don't think so. I think, I think they've got it in them to, to fight for a win. It just seems to be, they, you know, when we played them, they just looked miles fitter than us, all over us. And I just think, yeah, Bournemouth are beatable, aren't they? They're not a great side. They've got some points in the last few games. Yeah, I, it'd, be, it'd be an absolute miracle for us to stay up. I just can't see it. Yeah. No, me too. I think it's probably probably twice as unlikely as it was last season. And last season, we all thought we were doomed as well. So, yeah, it's proper miracle territory this time. I, I can't believe that we'll get away with it. And I don't think we're good enough to beat Spurs. Interesting to see what the atmosphere is like next week. I think the way we're all feeling now, you know, I'm sort of, yeah, wanting it to be toxic, really. But, you know, come Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm sure we'll all be feeling, you know, it won't be as raw. And you, you just start, start, you get different thoughts, don't you? You start thinking, well, could it could it possibly happen? And probably we'll all be 100% behind them until we're 3-0 down. It's a bank holiday. So Leeds United ruined those. So let's not think of it as any other. I, I, I cannot shift from the mindset of we are down. No, that's that's it for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've thought it for a long time, and I think we're going down. We deserve it as well, don't we? Definitely, definitely, hundred percent. So do Everton, though, which is really annoying. Like, really annoying. It annoys me more than it should that Everton are going to get away with it because we're so pathetic. Um, mm. Unless, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, no one's thinking about Leicester. It's not impossible that they could get a draw tomorrow night at Newcastle, and if they do, we pretty much are down because Le- Leicester got West Ham at home on the last day i don't know I, I might be wrong but i think west ham play the final in the midweek after the leicester game i might be wrong not checked it but uh, yeah you know they're, they're beatable at home i imagine like you know leicester could have beat them today if, if if given the chance i think they weren't they weren't great were they no so well, we can't we can't go inside game want needing leicester and everton to slip up that's just yeah yeah is that it now yeah, go on. I'll let you go. Oh, God, it's uh, it's going to be a tough week. It's going to be a tough few weeks, tough few months, but it is what it is. And I think that's the frustrating thing is that when all the incompetencies and people and the way the club is right now has shifted, we'll still be here and we'll still be ruining what could have been. And I hope that the rebuild isn't as long as we worry about. And we can turn things around pretty quickly, but it's a it's a huge task, and I really hope whatever is is going to happen with the ownership that Forty Niners Rodrizani, or if some other investors come in on someone else, and you know one party moves on or whatever, I hope that they can quickly come together and understand that kind of a split ownership and being split on decisions is really not what they need for their investment, and actually being able to act quickly on decisions and get the right people in and, and get the club functioning no, relatively normal for Leeds United as quickly as possible is is the 
biggest chance of them all succeeding. That's what we need. Yeah. I've got a positive as well to end on. You know, I know it looks like the Bielsa area is going to be completely in vain and, you know, we're going to be back to square one and we missed the promotion and we missed the good season in the Premier League. But the Bielsa era still happened and that's not going away. No one can take it away from us. And the thing is, it's part of the fabric of the club now. Like we have, we have the Bielsa era and these owners have ripped up his blueprint. They've thrown it in the bin. They've trampled all over it. But new owners will respect him and, and they will, they will bring in managers to play his style. And, and, you know, we will forever, like you said earlier, you know, we have these standards now, you know, Bielsa has taught us all a lot. We've got that, you know, we, we know how that felt. So, you know, that era was not in vain, it, never in vain, you know, it, it happened and, and we'll, we'll forever have it and learn from it and, and it will be used in future, even if it's been neglected now. On that note, we'll see you next time. Network.